Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. What's it like to have COVID? For those of us who haven't had it yet, we hear a lot about the symptoms. They could vary from being very severe to kind of mild. You don't know if you've had vaccinations, if you'll get a major case or not. But what's it like if you're also a healthcare provider? Well, today we have Claire Santos in the studio, and she recently recovered from having COVID. After not having it for a couple of years, you you got away with it, and then you got infected. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that experience was like, how you managed, given the fact that, you know, we've kind of had a little heads up on what we would need to do, but that doesn't mean we're all super prepared and the people around us prepared and some of the unusual things you discovered while you were dealing with infection and recovery. So thank you for joining us today on The Body Show. Well, aloha, Dr. Kozak. It's great to be back again and recovered from COVID. And recovered. That's the most important point. So now you had gone through the pandemic a couple of years. You'd done really well. You hadn't gotten exposed. You got vaccinated. You got boosted. You did everything right. Everything right. I was meticulous with wearing masks, with shopping early in the morning, avoiding crowds, um, five-shot COVID. It can um, happen to any of us. Just took that one little interaction with a patient, an unmasked patient who came in, in my face, demanding that I look in her throat, and I knew I was done. And sure enough. (laughs) Sure enough. There you go. Okay. So how long did it take for you after that exposure to start to develop symptoms? It was about 24 hours later. It was pretty quick. But remember, I did that same thing happen with H1N1. I guess when a virus gets me, it, it goes full force. So 24 hours later. So yeah. this happened recently. This was just... Christmas Eve. Okay, Christmas Eve. And so you said you were interacting with a, with a person, a patient who wanted you to look in their throat, and they weren't wearing a mask. Were you wearing a mask? I was not. I had just... I, I can't make an excuse. I had just come into work and hadn't put my mask on yet. So Literally hadn't even had a chance. No okay. chance. So you're looking in somebody's throat. What were the first symptoms that you had in those 24 hours? Because you've you've had many years of experience as a nurse. You know when you get sick and you know your body. What did you experience first? I'll tell you the confusion is that we've had VOG. So my sinuses were already irritated. And that may have been what set me up as vulnerable. Um, But the next day was Christmas Eve day and I was on the phone with family talking for a long time. I noticed... My right tonsil is bothering me. Usually it's my left tonsil that warns me of something. So I thought I was just talking too long without drinking water. You kind of make excuses when you have mild symptoms. But within 12 hours, that sore tonsil was extremely painful. My sinuses were running. I just, this was very all unusual for me. So I did a home test and it was so instantly positive. And I did a second home test since I had two different kinds, and it was instantly positive, and I knew I knew what I had to do from there. So here you are. Within a day, you start developing some, some symptoms that are usual for you but a little unusual because of the severity and the location. You get these positive tests. What's the first thing that people should do if they test positive? Take a breath. Don't panic. Okay, think it through. What are your home remedies? What is your plan? I'm a person, I cook in bulk and I keep 
portioned meals in my freezer. So I knew I had food for myself. I have a little dog and I live in a condo. But for the grace of God, a neighbor insisted on walking my dog for me every four hours. So I didn't need to go out. I didn't have the home remedies a lot of people have because I don't get sick but every five years. So everything I had was expired and I had to message my physician. (laughs) Can I still use this cough syrup? Because by the second day I had this god-awful painful cough. Um, So I would advise people to... uh, whatever home remedies they prefer, try to keep a current stock in the house because my my things were all expired. Well, you brought up three things. I was just literally jotting down notes. Okay, check to see if you have expired meds or something that you might need to have a supply of and have a plan on food. You know, make sure that you have some supply so that should you get diagnosed or home test with COVID, you know, you don't want to go to the food store and expose everyone else. You can have food delivery, but you also have to know, have some things available just in case. And then have a plan for your pets. You know, if you have pets, make sure that you have some kind of a plan. They could get it. But also, particularly, you know, I have cats, they they have their own litter box, they have their own deal, they generally don't go outside. But in a case with the dog, you, you have to walk them, They that's where they go. So have a plan for your pets. Those were three quick things that, that I noted. Now, you know, you mentioned certain prescription meds might have been expired, but some people might have expired Tylenol or other fever remedies that they really should take a look at, or maybe they don't have them at home. So getting a little medicine kit for if I get sick, not just COVID, you mentioned H1N1 from years ago, or the flu has come around again, having that little medicine kit so that you have it available and you have it up up to date and stocked. I was lucky I had a little bottle of Motrin so I could treat my, my fever went to 101.4, I think was my max. Um, so I had some Motrin. Of course, I have water and homemade chicken soup and Juk and all the remedies I could need, except that when that cough came, I needed to suppress it. It was just getting too painful between my ribs. And that's when I had to put out the call to my physician and say, can I still use this? It expired. (laughs) Yes, you can still use it. Tasted awful, but it worked. (laughs) Well, tasted awful is usually a sign that it's probably still good, believe it or not, particularly with some of those cough syrups that have a little bit of the stronger ingredients in those. Now, what were your thoughts on some people when they test positive, they want to consider using medication like Paxlovid is one of the pills that's available out there for people to take if they have high risk or if they're having severe symptoms. What were your thoughts on that? I did give that some thought. And from what I've I've read with other people, it suppresses the virus for a little while, but then they test positive again. So I thought my symptoms are mild. If If I got worse, I would reconsider and contact physician. Um, but since I was staying in the mild zone, I decided I didn't need to add any more medicines to my stash. <laughs> well, and I think you made what we're encouraging people to do, a personal choice based on your symptoms, but also your immune system, your knowledge of your body, and how you were recovering. So, you know, day one, you start to have this this really sore throat. Day two, you start to have this fever and this really uncomfortable cough what happened as the as the next couple of days went on? It was pretty remarkable that each day showed improvement. Um, I slept the second day straight through. I thank 
the Lord for my neighbor who came and got my dog because I had zero energy. Um, so no energy. You were really tired. Yeah. You were able to get some rest, which is really important. And now you mentioned you live with your dog. Was anybody else in the household that could have been exposed? No, but I had had a neighbor over before my symptoms, in the week before my symptoms. So I, you know, one of the first things I did do was contact anyone I had been in close contact with the week before or the days before. Luckily, they all tested negative and stayed negative. So I didn't have that guilt factor of <laughs> contaminating other people. It could happen to any of us. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Claire Santos. She's a nurse with decades of experience and then firsthand just went through COVID. So we're going to talk some more about how that infection transpired and what sort of residual symptoms that she may have and some tips and hints for the rest of us so that if we do get it, we are very prepared on how we're going to handle it. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're talking with Claire Santos. She is a nurse with lots of experience and, unfortunately, a recent experience with COVID. And so often healthcare providers may have been exposed in the beginning of the pandemic, but because they were wearing masks and had other levels of protection, they might not have actually gotten infected. And for those who received all their vaccinations and thought everything was going to go well, we could all still get exposed to COVID and get sick. And so we're talking with Claire. Now, you mentioned that Christmas Eve, you had an exposure, and over the next couple of days, it was not the best holiday for you. And so you started to develop symptoms. Luckily, you had some medications at home, and you put a lot of thought into using some of the remedies that are out there and felt your body was going to be able to handle this type of infection. A lot of symptoms people talk about, like loss of taste or loss of smell. Did you experience that? I did. I did. Um, I've had that happen before when I had a bad pharyngitis. I lost taste and smell for a long time. My brain remembers what the food should taste like, so it's not the worst experience to go through. I don't want to, I don't dramatize something like that because in your mind, you know what that spaghetti tastes like. So if you're eating it, you kind of know what it's tasting like and you have to ride through it. Don't make it bigger than it needs to be. You know, it's really interesting. I was just reading about olfactory therapy. So they were talking about people who have prolonged loss of smell or taste from COVID. And one of the things they mentioned is just what you said, your brain remembers the taste. So they have people remember what the food is and then have the food, remember what it is, and try and work on that repetitive exposure to help get those those different olfactory nerves and to get those brain connections back. They do exactly what you said. You know what this is supposed to taste like. Focus on what it's supposed to taste like and then think about the texture and start to eat it. So, you know, it's interesting because that's the studies that they're now doing, looking at trying to improve people who have that lingering loss of taste and smell. You mentioned you had it before and this time you had it again. How long did that last? I think that lasted the longest of anything, perhaps a week. I had to imagine the taste of my food and 
and laugh to myself that maybe I'm lucky I don't have to taste my own cooking. I don't know. <laughs> well, that would definitely be the case for me, I'll tell you. Now, with that, you know, it's often hard because you need to make sure you're keeping up your nutrition. So you want to make sure you're getting good nutrients to help your body fight this. At the same time, you can't really taste it. So it kind of creates this dichotomy of trying to make sure that you're doing what you need to be doing. But, you know, it's not as enjoyable as it used to be. What other symptoms did you have? You mentioned like one day you just slept the whole day and had no energy. And did you start to slowly build that back up over the next couple of days? Slowly, slowly. After the five-day isolation period, you know, I masked up and sanitized hands and all that and took my dog outside because your body does need to get moving again. Um, I don't agree with going back to full workforce level in three days or five days because there's a lot of recovery to be done. How did it affect your breathing? When I had the cough, it was it was a little bit rough because, you know, those little... Uh, muscles between your ribs have so many nerve endings in them. And when you're coughing and coughing, that gets very painful and your breaths get more shallow and you can't produce a good cough. So you get fatigued. Um, so it's important. I, I sleep sitting up one night um, just to keep things clear. But the cough medicine and fluids, I keep at least um, two quarts of homemade chicken soup in my freezer. I believe in home remedies to that extent because it's part of your healing is what you believe in. If it's juk, if it's chicken soup, if it's miso soup, whatever, have it on hand. Have it on hand because part of your healing is your belief system. Well, and you mentioned you had it in your freezer. Yeah, I keep it there and I had that to drink. I was going to try a packet of, um, you know, the dried soup, you add water. Like instant noodles or something, okay. Well, I looked at the sodium content and realized I never have that much sodium in one day ever. So be careful with that. Stick with your homemade things, in my opinion. Um, anything instant is going to have that high salt content. Uh, you don't need to make yourself more sick or upset your electrolyte balance. Now, you mentioned that, you know, getting back to activity, you do it slowly. You didn't feel as though you could have... Just you know, you're really active and physically you're doing you're walking the dog several times a day and you're doing these long walks and you're going up and down hills. That was not something you felt you could do even after that five day of quarantine had gone by. Oh, I didn't have it in me. Uh, Charlie and I will walk two to four miles in the morning. You know, we're out there early in the morning and we're going for it. That was not in me. I could only take him out on the lawn by the street and go then go right back upstairs. Um but you knew your limits, so you didn't try and overexert yourself. Right. So you keep moving. You've got to keep your blood circulating. You've got to give your lungs a reason to expand by having physical activity. But pace yourself. Don't push past your – it's not a time to push past your limits. It's, it's not the Hurt 100 trail run, you know. Well, you also mentioned that you live in a condominium. So the good news is you have some neighbors, so you can knock on their door, and sometimes they can help you if you have something you need. But the bad news is you have some neighbors, and sometimes they might get a little worried if you're in the elevator, even though you've passed your five-day quarantine, that, you know, there might be some, what if they got exposed? And so there may be some concerns. How did some of your neighbors and how did the condo association, how did they deal with that? You know, when the pandemic first started, excuse me, I still be losing my voice sometimes. 
I did have a neighbor tell me I had no business getting in the elevator because I'm a nurse and I must be covered in COVID. People were not necessarily rational at that time. There was a lot of fear. There were so many unknowns. The CDC seemed to be changing guidance every five minutes. It was at that point in time, that's what it was. Three years into it, to have I let my building manager know that I had tested positive. I wanted to be sure he was surface cleaning the elevator panels and all that, even though I had been doing that myself and going out the back door instead of using the elevator. And for some reason, a panic happened, and an email blast went out to everyone that someone's traversing the premises. <laughs> and I don't expect that degree of panic at this point in the <laughs> pandemic. Well, you would have thought that, you know, just because you were traversing, I mean, think about the statistical likelihood that other people with COVID had also been traversing that area. You know, we do know in the very beginning, everybody was bleaching everything, sanitizing alcohol, and we realized that it may not be something that you would catch as readily from a surface as we initially had thought. So right. some of the recommendations changed. And then over time, we started to see that people did a little bit better when they were able to be in an environment and they could sanitize their hands and don't touch their face, but not necessarily feel so inclined to be as worried. But, you know, you mentioned that there was like an email blast that went out. And here you are, a healthcare professional, kind of knowing this information, but also being the patient. So how did you handle that? I sent a private reply to the manager that this was not an appropriate response at this point, you know. At some point, ignorance can be a choice, and this was definitely a choice, um, in my opinion. So what I did do was print out the CDC current guidance for people and put it up on our community bulletin boards, which was soon taken down by the same manager. So, you know, you can try to educate people all, you know, till the cows come home. Some people just are afraid and they're going to stay afraid and you kind of have to work around it. Luckily, as I said, when I texted a couple of neighbors that I tested positive, they stepped right up. I'll take care of Charlie. You know, what do you need? And you need that community around you. You do need that community to help you out because you can't go out. You can't go to the store. You can't go downstairs and receive food deliveries um, when you're in a condo of, of a secured building. So you need to figure it out in a hurry how th this is all going to work and not contaminate other people. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what is that CDC guidance and what do we all need to know to make sure we're prepared should we unfortunately get exposed to COVID, as I suspect uh, the rest of us will definitely at some point in our lifetime be dealing with this ourselves. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I'm here with Claire Santos, and she is a nurse with decades of experience, but also a recent episode of COVID. So now, 
Before the break, we were talking a little bit about what it's like to live in a group environment in a condominium. Everybody has their own place to stay and how nice it was that some of your neighbors stepped up and said, I'll take care of your dog and tell me what you need and I'll get your food. And that was some of the the nice things that we saw in the very beginning of the pandemic when a lot of people who were older were told definitely stay home. So a lot of people were trying to step it up and help their senior their seniors and help other people in the community. And then as we've kind of all gotten a little weary of of COVID and masks and all these sorts of things, we've kind of let our guard down a little bit and maybe don't have the same ability or the thought of forward thinking, what do we do if we get sick ourselves? So you mentioned that there's some CDC guidance on this. Not everybody might follow it, but what were some of the things that the CDC had recommended that you felt we should all know and kind of abide by? One thing for sure is the exposure. Um, when do you become a close contact? What does that mean? And it, it does mean, you know, six feet of distance and 15 minutes in that close contact with a person. People are very confused about that. And if you think about it, why would it take 15 minutes of exposure? You can have one blast of somebody's spit and, you know, you're kind of, if it gets up your nose, there you go. Um but that is the guidance. And I believe in September, the CDC dropped the mandatory masks in healthcare places. They made it optional for healthcare clinics and such to mandate masks. And in fact, where I worked, it was not mandatory for the patient to wear a mask. So, um, there you go. I mean, I know where I work, we still request people wear masks. And I would say 95% of the people, maybe even higher, 98% of the people are on board with that. But I'm still seeing some folks that are like, I'm not wearing a mask. What are you going to do about it? And, you know, then there's always the people who wear the mask below their nose and, you know, or it's somewhere else. And it's not really that helpful in those locations. Uh, But, you know, there's, there's certain things that we have to we have to accept in certain circumstances. And, you know, in a clinic setting, it's a little different than if you're a hospital patient at super high risk of having troubles. So you mentioned that the CDC had recommended that, you know, people are mindful of their exposure to someone who has COVID. What about the actual person who has COVID? Are we still talking about quarantine five days? Should they do what you did, which is kind of make accommodations, have your dog taken care of by someone else? I mean, I often think to myself, some of the patients who communicate with us say they have COVID. How do they get their Paxlovid if they choose to take it? They probably have to go to the pharmacy to pick it up. So, you know, we are really careful about telling them, hey, wear your super good mask, your N95, just go in, get it, get out, try not to expose yourself to other people. But some folks may not have that community of helpers that you had. So when you think about what some of the recommended guidelines are. I guess that's part of why you want to have an action plan should you need it. But what were some of the things that surprised you when you were going through this experience that might help somebody else? You know, there's so many variables. For me, okay, I could sneak down to my car, which I did cancel having my vehicle serviced because I was going to get in the vehicle and breathe all over the inside. Um, I have a pharmacy that has a drive through window. Mm, nice. But I'll tell you, there are people who don't have a car. And one time I went to the drive through window and a walk-up person was at the window. And that pharmacy allowed that. Um, she didn't have a car and she couldn't go inside. So she walked through the drive through Makes sense retrospectively. Um, 
so you've, you kind of need to know what your resources are in the community um, is, is the most important thing. When I was the COVID coordinator at a local private school, whenever I would call the parents of a student and make the notification, I would always ask, do you need anything? Do you need someone to shop for you to deliver anything to the house? Most of those folks did have a support network. But when I was volunteering with our Department of Health Medical Reserve Corps, one thing we did was go shopping. We'd get a grocery list from people on five-day isolation. I think it was 10 days back then, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, we would buy their, we would go get their groceries and leave them at the door. Um, so we had a lot of different support networks happening in the community to help people maintain that isolation period. So now it's a five-day isolation and then five days of good mask. And uh, you can define a good mask any way you want to, but uh, uh, that's the current situation. Well, and it's interesting. When I think back to the beginning of the pandemic, I think about what are some of the things that we have we have changed? And, you know, from the healthcare setting, virtual visits, that's a brand new thing. We had the technology to do it before. There wasn't any reimbursement, and CMS had some issues, and Medicare and insurance wasn't covering it, and now that's changed. So virtual visits are one thing. And the other thing is remote work. So some people who had symptoms that were pretty mild, they could still work from home because they were working from home anyway. So they were able to remote work for their office or for their job. You know, the other thing, when you think about it, Zoom. My very first Zoom call, I remember getting all upset that the connection's not good. This is a bad angle. I'm out of here. And now, like, Zoom is one of my favorite things to do. So, you know, that's a nice way to join conferences or to to participate in things where you don't have to go somewhere to do it. And then the other thing is food delivery. You know, we didn't really have a huge element of the food stores delivering food to individuals. But now that's kind of a thing. You don't even have to, you know, you can just order on Target online or go to Safeway or go wherever you want to go, Walmart. And you can just sit in your car and they'll put it in your trunk. And it doesn't have to be for COVID. It could just be because, you know, I'm feeling lazy that day. I mean, these are some of the different things that I've seen change during the time of COVID. And in some ways, I hope they stay. Not because, you know, I'm so lazy I will never get out of my car, but it really is convenient. So, you know, these are some of the changes I think might be positive as we go forward to sort of to see these changes in not just healthcare, but how necessities are delivered. You mentioned pharmacies with drive-throughs and, you know, medication delivery is another issue that I think we're going to see more of. So these are some of the potentially positive changes, dare I even call them that, that we started to see post-COVID. What are some of the other things you'd like to see in our last minute or so? What would you like to see change that we could do better in the future? From the very beginning of the pandemic, the health communication was abysmal. It was the worst. It was non-existent. Um, there was confusion. There was lack of knowledge. Even the CDC and the WHO didn't know exactly what we were dealing with. But going forward, doing the public health education part of it was just, we, we didn't do well with that at all. And um, I think that's the reason we had so many people opposed to the mask wearing and calling this a conspiracy and all sorts of other things because we didn't have solid information at the time. So in pandemic planning going forward, I would like to see a better health communication plan because we just didn't have one and uh, try to keep the public informed and calm instead of inventing their own 
realities. Well, I would agree with you. I think health communication and also investment in public health infrastructure. Yes. That is something that I hope we take forward. We make some changes and we do something that will help to bolster the public health because that's really where everything else comes from. You know, I really want to thank you today for sharing your expertise, Claire. You've been in the healthcare field for so long, but you've also learned a lot. And now being a patient, you are willing to share that experience with all of us. And that's really a special treat for me to hear firsthand what it's like as a healthcare professional and how your community really helps you to get through this and everyone work together. So I do want to thank all the people who helped you and walked your dog, Charlie, and you know, if you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. Special thanks to Claire Santos for being here with us today. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.